Okay, so Matt, what lies on its back a hundred feet in the air? <laughs> I, I I don't know. A centipede. <laughs> Uh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now... Pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, Matt. How are you, brother? Man, I am doing pretty good. Good, good. So before we get into it tonight, I wanted to say a quick thank you to this week's sponsors, HelloFresh and AMC Shutter, which is a new sponsor. Um, also had a little bit of info for you guys. We are working on getting some new merch out there for you guys that has new graphics on it. Yeah. And and thanks to Eric. He is one of our listeners that sent on his own this absolute killer graphic. It's incredible. I mean, the minute I saw it, I was in love with it. It's incredible. And it's so cool that we asked Eric if it was okay if we started using this on some merch, and he said, absolutely. So thank you, Eric, man. Fantastic work. We think you guys are going to love this yep. thing. It, it's a it's a picture of me shirtless riding a horse. <laughs> it's so like the old it, spice guy. Yeah, it, it's amazing. <laughs> and Matt loves it. And no, it, it, it's a... It's a really awesome graphic. Um, so we think you guys are going to dig it. And we're working on getting uh, that merch out there for you guys. So tonight, what we are going to talk about is a case that I have been in love with since I heard about it as a kid. It's been around. Everybody knows it, but we're going to dive into some of the specifics. And I think you're going to fall in love with it just like I did years ago. Matt, what are we talking about tonight? All right, tonight we are going to discuss the Travis Walton abduction case. Woo-hoo! Yeah, <laughs> it's a, something that's near and dear to Adam's heart that's yes. not a cryptid. I know it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> but, but after what now? I mean, almost a, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to have our first two-part episode yeah holy crap guys we didn't plan it this way you know so uh when we started digging into this and we we thought about everything we need to cover and discuss to make this show really really good for for you guys discussing a topic that has been discussed over and over again but we're going to put the graveyard tale spin on Mm -hmm. it and the only way we can really do that is to split it up into two shows so right you know up front this is this is going to be a two-parter mm-hmm. you know so do 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 what you want if if you know download the show and hold off until the second one comes out or or listen to it and wait you know whatever you want to do yep, you know because but this is this is how we're going to do this because we know you know listening to a two and a half hour show probably in, in your gig right um it's not it's not adam and I's gig. no 
We'll get an ADD will kick in uh, about halfway through that two and a half hour yeah, show. We start we start so, trailing off too much. Yeah. To- <laughs> um, but the way it's going to work out is we're dropping part one now when you're listening to this, and then we are dark next week, and then the following week we will drop part two. Yep. So that's why Matt said if you want to, we're going to drop a deuce. Yeah. <laughs> drop drop numero dos on you. Um, but it so if you want to download it and hold on to it and wait till the second part comes out, fantastic. If not, you know, listen to it now and go for it. But there will be a dark week in between. Listen to me now and hear me later. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so let you know there there is just so much about yeah. this case, and one of the things that Matt and I did is Travis wrote a book and. We took some excerpts from the book so that you could hear directly from Travis's mouth some of these things. So mm-hmm. there, there's going to be parts in here where we're reading uh, from his book, Fire in the Sky. Yeah, it's going to be like know. reading Rainbow. Right. And then there are some other parts, you know, that we will do our normal thing and BS about for a little while. Yeah. We're either going to be going, ooh, and ah, or we're we're going to start poking holes and stuff. Right. This is what we do. Yeah. It, it just happens. <laughs> All right, so why don't we get into it here? Now, on the morning of Wednesday, November 5th, 1975, Travis, who was 22 at the time, and six other co-workers went out to start their day kind of like any other day. None of them really thought at that time that this was going to be a life-changing day for them. They didn't think anything about it. Now, in his book, Fire in the Sky, Travis wrote, We were working on the Turkey Springs tree thinning contract. Basically, thinning involves spacing and improving the thick stands of smaller trees to allow for faster growth. That day, November 5th, we were cutting a fuel reduction strip up the crest of a ridge running south through the contract. Fuel reduction is a process of cutting the thinning slash into lengths and piling it up to be burned in the wet season. So he's explaining, you know, they're out there in the middle of nowhere. And they're doing logging work. So it's, you know, seven guys up there doing their logging. Now, his boss's name was Mike Rogers. And his other co-workers were Alan Dallas, John Goulet, Dwayne Smith, Kenneth Peterson, and Steve Pierce. Now, they all lived a little ways away from Turkey Springs where they were working. They lived in a town called Snowflake, Arizona. So it's kind of an odd name for it's, it's a, a state that's covered in desert. I know. <laughs> it, it, it's an oxymoron. <laughs> it's like, no, I guess that's the only snowflake they get in Arizona. So they're like, you know, we got to do I, it. May, I don't know. Does it snow in the mountains in Arizona? Yeah. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've never been to Arizona. So. I, it's on my bucket list of, of places to go. Arizona. And I've been to New Mexico, but I've never been to Arizona. So that's, New Mexico's on my list, too. Yeah. I beat you to that one. I've been yeah, there. Yeah. So just after 6 p.m. on November 5th, Rogers and the rest of the crew finished their work for the day. Now, they piled into Rogers' truck for the drive back to Snowflake with Travis riding shotgun. And this is a really old truck. He said it was beat down. It was, you know, dinged up. The The shocks and, and suspension was terrible. So going up and down these these logging roads, having to go over all the bumps and the, the water retention 
um, poles that they had to keep it from washing out the roads. He said it was just banging and slamming them yeah. into the ground. I, I remember hearing, I was watching so many interviews, I remember them saying what kind of truck it was. And it, I had never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An old, uh, beat up, that that best way to describe it is just beat up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it got them to and from work every day. And he said usually driving home, their adrenaline was still going so much from working that they none of them napped. They napped on the way in. But after work, they were wide awake yeah. driving down the road. I can imagine. And that's one thing you want to keep in mind throughout this is people have said, oh, well, you, you know, y'all must have been drunk or y'all were sleepy or whatever. They just got finished doing some very dangerous work. I was, was going to say this, that logging is not a job you can do intoxicated. No, you're running survive. large chainsaws, felling giant trees. If you're drunk, you're going to get smashed by a tree or cut in half by a chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. So take that out of the equation. None of the men were drunk. Right. And they were all wide awake because they just piled in the truck after working. So, and I wouldn't be able to sleep on a bumpy road in right. a, a yeah. beat up pickup With anyway. All these dudes piled into a truck. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so the crew reported that shortly after beginning the drive home, they saw a bright light from behind a hill. So all the men cussed, you know, and in expli- explicatives uh, because they couldn't make sense of what they were seeing. Yeah, I, one of the interviews Travis said at first he he thought maybe it was the sunset. Yeah. And, you know, where they were, it had already gotten dark. But as they traveled, you know, you've done that. It's dark where you are. But mm-hmm. then you get up and then the sky is still bright because the sun has, has set behind right. a hill or something and you, you don't notice it. Well, anymore. out here, you see that a lot because of the mountains back home. It's just bright and then it's dark after. <laughs> right, you know? right. But, you know, Travis, he recalls that he knew the sunset was 30 minutes earlier. Right. So, you know, it wasn't the sun that they were looking at. No, it wasn't. And, you know, that that's one of those things that knowing your environment, you know, he was able to quickly rule that out, that right. that wasn't it. Right. Well, Rogers, who was driving, couldn't see it from behind the wheel. So he asked, what do you guys see? And Dwayne answered him, I don't know, but it looked like a crashed plane hanging in a tree. So they drove a little closer to it, and they saw a large silvery disc hovering above a clearing and shining brightly. It was around eight feet high and 20 feet in diameter. Now, when they neared it, John cried out, stop the truck. So when the truck skidded to a stop, Travis just immediately threw open his door for a better view, and Alan yelled, my God, it's a flying saucer. So they immediately knew what it was as soon as they got up to it. They didn't have to question it, and it wasn't hidden. Yeah. You know, it was, they jumped out, they saw it. I yeah, mean, they were able to see it well enough. Yeah, yeah, it was It was in, in clear view of them. So Mike ended up shutting off the truck's engine, And they all sat there staring at the craft that was hovering about 20 feet or so off the ground. Now, Travis wrote in the book, he said, the cold, jarring reality of what we were witnessing struck fear and awe to the core of every one of us. 
Suddenly, beholding its vivid, magnificent structure summoned all emotions at once. You could almost hear our hearts pounding above that suspended instant of silence. Less than 30 yards away, the metallic craft hung motionless, 15 feet above a tangled pile of logging slash. The soft yellow haze from the craft dimly illuminated the immediate area with an eerie glow. Under the weird light, the encircling forest took on bizarre hues that were very different from its natural colors. The trees, the brush, and the grass all reflected subtle, peculiar new shades. So that's something, too, that you hear in some of these sightings cases, is that the light that's produced by these craft actually has a difference to it than the light we're used to. You know, we we saw that with the Phoenix Lights mm-hmm, episode, mm-hmm. that there's there's a difference in the light spectrum. Right. So the the way this light is, without him knowing it, the way this light is reflecting off kind of shows that. It shows that there's a difference rather than just it's a halogen bulb. You know, it, it creates different hues of light. And he said, I estimated the object to have an overall diameter of 15 or 20 feet. It was 8 or 10 feet thick. The flattened disc had a shape like that of two gigantic pie pans placed lip to lip with a small round bowl turned upside down on the top. Barely visible at our angle of sight, the white dome peaked over the upper outline of the ship. We could see darker stripes of dull silver sheen that divided the glowing areas into panel-like sections. The dim yellowish light given off by the surface had the luster of hot metal, fresh from a blast furnace. So, if it's going through our atmosphere, it's going to heat up. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have shields on our spacecraft because so much friction is caused going through our atmosphere that it heats up the metal and everything. Yeah, it turns it into like a fireball, essentially. Yeah. You know. Yep, so it giving off this visual sense of going, you know, coming out of a blast furnace makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he, he goes on to say there were no visible antenna or protrusions of any kind. Nothing that resembled a hatch, ports, or window-like structures could be seen. There was no motion and no sound from the craft. It almost appeared to be dead in the air. I glanced from one to another stricken face. Turning back to the impelling spectacle in the air, I was suddenly seized with the urgency to see the craft at close range. I was afraid it would fly away and I would miss the chance of a lifetime to satisfy my curiosity about it. I hurriedly got out of the truck and started toward the hovering ship. So this is the first time I can say, hey, Travis, what are you doing? (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Everything up to this point, I'm I'm okay with because you know he's in all of it. They've stopped. They yeah. they're looking at it. I would do the same thing, but I would not walk toward a hovering ship. Yeah, and you know I, I thought about this when I when I was reading um, that on first glance you immediately think, okay, why 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 would you get out? You don't know what this thing is. It's obviously something you've never seen anything comparable. Right. So why get out of the truck? 
I mean, e- even if it's e- even if you're thinking it's not an a, a what we would classify as a UFO, you know, and it's not a flying saucer. It's got to be something else. Almost to me, if it's something else, it's even more dangerous. Exactly. If it's something man-made, and, and you don't know what it is, and here it here it's sitting, and glowing, shining in front of mm-hmm. you. That that would scare me even more. Yep, you that's know, radiation or something, right? You know. But then, as as I went along and I thought about, you know, what what would I have done, really, and what Travis's reasoning? Because this was one of the things that begins to. To, to dig when people try to discredit Travis. Is, mm-hmm. Why why would you get out and why were you the only one? Why would you even approach this thing? Why wouldn't you immediately alert the authorities? All this stuff. You know, you know I, I go through this and I think, if I did think it was a UFO, I would want a better look at it. You know? That's true. And, and you got to remember, this happened in 1975. There's no cell phones, mm-hmm. you know, no camera phones. The right. likelihood that these guys would have had a camera on them leaving work yeah. is, you know, a million to one. It would have been by accident if they had one. Exactly. Yep. So they really had no other way to get, a, you know, any kind of accurate description of what they were seeing unless somebody got a closer look. True. Now, it wasn't like they, they voted Travis out of the truck. You're going to be the one <laughs> yeah. to go. I mean, he did it. He said he wanted to see it. He wanted to get a better look at it before it went away. Yeah. You know, so. And that does make sense. If if, if I'm thinking, okay, I see something like this. I have no camera, no phone, no way to call for help, no way to report it to authorities, no way to call and see, hey, is there something going on out on this road that we need to be aware of? Nothing like that. I'm probably going to get out and look at it, too. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and, and you know, I'm not one that's going to jump into a dangerous situation, but just knowing my own personality, I, I would probably check it out, too. So I can understand in, in the heat of the moment, Travis's idea that I've got to go and get a better look at this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's not like this was the first UFO sighting. Right. You know, they they had an idea. So, you know, they're thinking. If this is really a UFO, we get, we got to we got to look at it, or at least that's what Travis was thinking. I think the other guys were terrified. Yeah, the Not other that guys, Travis wasn't, but <laughs> yeah, the other guys were like, just nope. They noped out of that one, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and and like you said, Travis was was and is the kind of guy that's like, well, I'm curious about it, so let's go check it out. Right, you know. Now. Travis slowly and quietly made his way toward the ship. The whole time, the guys in the truck were yelling at him to come back and be careful. What do you think you're doing? Mike demanded in a loud, harsh whisper. Travis stops for a moment, and he writes, The sober realization of what I was doing abruptly heightened the doubt I was already wrestling with. What should I do? I asked myself. Maybe I am being foolhardy, I told myself. I won't get too close, but what if there's somebody inside that thing? I faltered. Finally, I reassured myself with, I can always run away. So that was his, his thought process, is even if, even if stuff's going to go bad, I can still run. I can yeah. still get out of here. Yeah. Well, Travis finally stopped walking toward the ship when he was about 
six feet or so from being directly under it. And he said he was in awe of the unbelievable smoothness of the hull and how unblemished it looked. He said, I had become aware of a barely audible sound coming from the ship. I could detect a strange blend of low and high-pitched mechanical sounds. There were intermittent, high-piercing beeping points overlaid on the distant, low-rumbling sound of heavy machinery. The strange tones were so mixed that it was impossible to compare them to any sound I could remember ever hearing. So the ship is amazingly smooth. No rivet points, no seams or welds that he can see. So that doesn't sound like something man-made. You know, that that's almost like an injection molding type scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, because if we were to get something that big, we would have to rivet together. You look at aircraft, and they've got rivet points. Even the stealth ones that they reduce rivet points for drag and all that stuff, you can still see spots where things are connected. And this, mm-hmm. he didn't mm-hmm. see anything. Yeah. It was just completely smooth. Which to me would immediately think, it's not man-made. Right, right, exactly. Um, and then it's emitting this noise that, if you think about, the, the thing I picture is when, you, when you're watching horror movies and the soundtrack in the background, you'll hear that in the background to me that's kind of what i'm picturing is i hear that with some another high pitched tone on top of it and that's that's a weird thing you know that can create disorientation in you mhm yep you know like we've talked about the weird frequencies before that can screw with you right yeah the, the different frequencies can actually produce nausea and mhm you know headaches and i mean right. you know there there are actually some frequencies that can you know, if if prolonged exposure can drive you insane. Yeah. So this is probably what, you know, if you're trying to imagine it, like Adam said, it, it's probably something along those lines, something enough to make you kind of go, that's not right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not something like an engine sound, something mm-hmm. you would be familiar with. Yeah. I shouldn't be hearing this, basically. Right. Yeah. So that that's going to that's gonna pique his curiosity even more. Sure. I mean, sure. it wouldn't mind. Yeah. Well, the noise of the ship increased, and it started to wobble in the air, kind of like if you had bumped it, and it started wobbling a little bit. Now, suddenly, a beam of light shot out of the ship, and it hit Travis, sending him flying back like a rag doll to the ground. Now, the guys in the truck screamed at each other that it got him. Let's get the hell out of here. So the guys the whole time are watching this. And as soon as that beam of light is emitted from the truck or from the truck um, emitted from the UFO (laughs) and uh, hits Travis, you know, they're closing the doors of the truck and screaming to get the hell out. of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Total flip out time. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Now, the men sped away, terrified that they would be next and they're hollering at each other, wondering if. It's following them. You know, they're looking over their shoulder trying to figure out, you know, okay, if it just got Travis, maybe it's following us. Yeah, because they initially thought he was dead. Yeah, yep. And 
So they, you know, they speed down the road a little way and then they stop the vehicle and they started debating on whether or not they should go back to see if Travis was okay and if they could help or what happened to him. Well, as they were discussing it, Mike yelled, hey, did you see that? Now, Mike told them he thought that he had briefly seen the outline of the golden disc through the trees to the south. It had raised itself vertically to the treetop level and streaked away toward the northeast at incredible speed. Now, the men sped back to town to try and get help at around 7.30 p.m., they think. Now, Peterson called police from Heber, Arizona, near Snowflake. Now, Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison answered the telephone. Peterson initially reported only that one of the logging crew was missing. Ellison met, met the crew at a shopping center. They related the tale to him. All the men distraught. Two of them were in tears. And though he was somewhat skeptical of these accounts, Ellison would later reflect, if they were acting, they were awfully good at it. Yeah, yeah. Now, Ellison notified his superior, Sheriff Marlon Gillespie, who told Ellison to keep the crew in Heber until he could arrive with Officer Ken Copeland to interview the men. In less than an hour, Gillespie and Copeland arrived, and they heard the tale from the crew. Rogers insisted on returning to the scene immediately to search for Travis, with tracking dogs if possible. Well, no dogs were available, but the police and some of the crew returned to the scene. Crew members Smith, Pierce, and Goulette were too upset to be of, of much help in the search, so they elected to return to Snowflake and relate the bad news to friends and family. Now, at the scene, the law enforcement officers became a little suspicious of the story that the crew was telling. Of course they did. Sure. Who wouldn't? Yeah. You're, you're talking about a UFO shooting your buddy. That's not right. something that happens all the time. Yeah, and now it and your buddy are gone. Exactly. <laughs> so mainly because there was nothing in the way of physical evidence yeah. is why they were suspicious. But more police and volunteers did arrive to search the area. They found no trace whatsoever of Travis. Now, the winter nights there can be really cold in the mountains, and Walton had only worn jeans, a denim jacket, and a shirt. So the police started getting worried that Travis could actually become victim of hypothermia if he were lost. Well, by morning on November 6, officials and volunteers had scoured the area around the scene where Walton went missing. Again, no trace of him. And the suspicion started growing that the UFO tale was concocted to cover up an accident or a homicide. So Saturday morning, Rogers and Dwayne Walton arrived at Sheriff Gillespie's office. They were, quote, explosively angry because they had returned to the scene and found no police there. Well, by that afternoon, police were searching for Walton with helicopters, horse-mounted officers, and jeeps. Now, on Monday, November 10th, just as an aside, Matt and I are sitting here killing little sugar ants on the table. <laughs> um yeah. Because for some reason they just they love my house yeah. and my family calls them piss ants. 
Yeah, that's what mine does too. <laughs> and I guess it's a southern thing, but yeah. they're my arch nemesis. So death, it, death from above, as my soon, finger yep. is coming down. As soon as I'm them. seeing one, I'm like pointing it out to Matt, and we're sitting here <laughs> swatting them. <laughs> this is what goes on when you're listening to the show. Exactly. You don't see what we're doing, but we're killing ants. Yeah, it, we're just killing ants, rolling up the notes and smacking bugs, you know. Yeah. The graveyard. I mean, there's bugs in the graveyard. <laughs> now, on Monday, November 10th, all of Roger's remaining crew took polygraph examinations administered by Cy Gilson, an Arizona Department of Public Safety employee. He... His questions asked if any of the men caused harm to Walton or knew who caused harm to Walton. So if they knew where Walton's body was buried, if they told the truth about seeing a UFO. Now, the men all denied harming Travis or knowing who harmed him, denied knowing where his body was, and insisted they indeed had seen a UFO. Except for Dallas who had not completed his exam, which ended up rendering it invalid. Mm-hmm. And Matt and I were talking about that, and that's because he got mad. You know, you're sitting here questioning some of Travis's friends and coworkers if they killed him, and they've already told you they didn't kill him, and he just got mad and quit the exam. Yeah. Well, Gilson concluded that all the men were truthful, and the exam results were conclusive. Gilson's official report said these polygraph examinations prove that these five men did see some object they believed to be a UFO and that Travis Walton was not injured or murdered by any of these men on that Wednesday. If the UFO was fake, Gilson thought, five of these men had no prior knowledge of it. Now, following the polygraph tests, Sheriff Gillespie announced that he accepted the UFO story, saying there's no doubt they're telling the truth. Yeah, or, you know, at least they believed they were. You know, so we're going to get into this a lot more in the next, uh, in part two. But what we know now about polygraph tests and what they really knew then it's a lot different. Right. And, you know, so I think for the for the good or the bad, you know, I, I you just you can't put a whole lot of stock in these things. But I, I guess it was it was the only indicator of the time that the law enforcement had to te- to determine whether or not these guys were just completely making this up or had had suffered some kind of trauma that Yeah. So, yeah. but, but we're, we're going to dig more into that, but you just take it with a grain of salt. But at the time it was enough to convince law enforcement that these guys were telling the same story and they all believed it to be true. Right. So what, what is, I mean, if, if you're the sheriff, what, what does that tell you? Yeah. Well, I, I got nothing else. So I've got to believe what they're saying. Yep. I know these men didn't do it. They don't, they believe it was a UFO. And if somebody was hoaxing it, it wasn't any of them. Right. Now, like Matt and I said before we started recording, they should just have sodium pentothal and take care of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, just shoot them up. Yep. Like, now tell me what happened. Yep. So if you don't know what sodium pentothal is, go Google that. Yeah. And then wait for the FBI to be on your doorstep wondering why you're Googling sodium pentothal. <laughs> That's right. Now, 
Now, Travis ended up regaining consciousness. And when he regained consciousness, he was now on the UFO. Hey, Adam, let's take a minute and let's talk about one of our sponsors, HelloFresh. Now, HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. Now, HelloFresh does all the meal planning, shopping, and prepping so you can focus on a healthier you and a happier family. You can get seasonal, simple recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door every week. Right. And those fresh pre-measured ingredients with easy-to-follow six-step pictured recipe cards are delivered every week in a special insulated box so that it stays perfectly fresh and cool. You don't have to worry about that. And it makes family dinners fuss-free with HelloFresh's picky eater, kid-tested, and approved family plan recipes. And that insulated box and everything is great because Ashley and I took Michael to Arkansas a little while ago, and we took the Tex-Mex cheese-stuffed burgers with us. Oh, it sounds good. Oh, it was amazing. We we went there, and it all stayed fresh for the drive to Arkansas, and got there, and we had a HelloFresh in the Airbnb while we were there. It was awesome. Michael loved it, and he always likes getting involved and, and helping us cook and everything. It's just, it's great. Um, so for our listeners... You can get $80 off your first month of HelloFresh. All you've got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard80 and enter the code Graveyard80. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-8-0. Yeah, I mean, you're getting $20 off your first four boxes. So to do that, $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash graveyard 80 and enter the code graveyard 80 that's g-r-a-v-e y-a-r-d eight zero well he was groggy and weak and felt that if he moved here at first he might lose consciousness again and i think we've all come out of a, a surgery or something if you've had a surgery and you've kind of come out of it, you you, you feel that way at first. You know, yeah. your muscles are weak. You don't know where you're at. Your your brain is groggy. I say stupid things to nurses when that happens. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we all have had these experiences. Um, just as an aside, when I had uh, my wisdom teeth pulled, mm-hmm. They knocked me out, and I, I can't remember much of it, but I remember walking down the hallway. My mom was on one side of me, and the nurse was on the other. And I look over at my mom, and then I look over at the nurse, and I said, hey, where do I get some of that stuff? <laughs> and that's all I can remember, that whole <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah, I'm glad that, that you know, you, you and I came around before everybody was able to just take a video of your ridiculousness. Yeah, no kidding. After that. No kidding. Because I have seen plenty of videos of teenagers having their wisdom right. teeth out and being totally off the wall. Yeah, and I'm you know? so glad. Yeah, that- <laughs> it's like, well, there was a good, there was a good thing about growing yep. up at a time before technology was where it is today. <laughs> yeah, my, my stupidity was not documented. <laughs> 
That's right. So as Travis started really coming to, he was trying to remember exactly what had happened and where he was. Well, he thought maybe he had been injured by something and they brought him to the hospital, but he couldn't understand why the nurses and doctors hadn't removed any of his work clothes. He was still, he could still feel that he was wearing his jacket and his jeans and everything. And he thought maybe he was just too injured and they didn't have time to do that. And they had to get on with the procedures. Well, he started to regain a little more consciousness and he saw three, quote, doctors standing above him. Then he remembered. He was standing under the saucer and looking up at the hull when he was hit by a beam of light and lost consciousness. Then he realized the doctors weren't doctors. They were three alien entities from that saucer. Well, as he came to a little more, he realized there there was a device laying on his chest that stretched down to just a few inches above his belt. So he got freaked out. And he swung his arm as hard as he could in that state at the two alien doctors on his right side. And he ended up connecting with one of them. Well, his swing was more of just a push. Mm -hmm. And so he made that first one just bump into the other one. He said. So now they're like the three stooges. Yeah. (laughs) So he said, the one I touched felt soft through the cloth of its garment. The muscles of its puny physique yielded with a sponginess that was more like fat than sinew. The creature was light and had fallen back easily. So we're kind of getting the first little taste of what he's witnessing with these entities here. So in his still kind of groggy state, he jumped to his feet and he was grabbing for anything that he could use to defend himself. He ended up grabbing this glass looking tube that he said was like a giant test tube type thing. And he said it was just too weak to use as a bashing object. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he thought, I need to, I need something sharp. So he tried to break the end of this like you would a beer bottle in a movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you've got a shank. Which you ever try to do that? Yeah, it doesn't work. It don't work. No. You're, <laughs> either nothing happens or you end up with this little nub of a, right. a neck just, in your hand. It completely explodes. Yeah. You know? It's like, this is useless. So he said when he tried to break the end to create a sharp edge, it wouldn't break. And he was swinging as hard as he could, and it would not break. Well, the creatures kept moving slowly toward him. And this is how he described them. He said they were a little under five feet in height. They had a basic humanoid form, two legs, two arms, hands with five digits each, and a head with normal human arrangement of features. But beyond the outline, the similarity to humans was terrifyingly absent. Their thin bones were covered with white, marshmallowy-looking flesh. They had on single-piece, coverall-type suits made of soft, suede-like material, orangish-brown in color. With a little sailor hat. In the yeah, oh, exactly. Wait, that's the... Marshmallow man. That's your dream. <laughs> so, so he said, I could not see any grain in the material at all. 
that you would normally see in cloth. In fact, their clothes did not appear even to have any seams. I saw no buttons, zippers, snaps, nothing. They wore no belts. The loose, billowy garments were gathered at the wrists and perhaps around the ankles. They didn't have any kind of raised collar at the neck or anything. They wore simple pinkish tan footwear. I could not make out the details of their shoes, but they had very small feet, about a size four by our measurement. When they extended their hands toward me, I noticed they had no fingernails. Their hands were small, delicate, and without hair. Their thin, round fingers looked soft and unwrinkled. Their smooth skin was so pale that it looked chalky like ivory. Their bald heads were disproportionately large for their puny bodies. They had bulging, oversized craniums, a small jaw structure, and an underdeveloped appearance to their features that was almost infantile. Their thin-lipped mouths were narrow. I never saw them open. Lying close to their heads on either side were tiny, crinkled lobes of ears. Their miniature, rounded noses had small, oval nostrils. So he was able to get really a good look at these creatures. And the thing that I, the biggest thing I took away from it is he's talking about the paleness of their skin and how when he hit them, it was fatty, mm-hmm. not muscly. Mm-hmm. And one of the theories that has come around here lately is that if, a species of extraterrestrial entity has made it to the point in their evolution to where they can travel to other planets, then they are putting a lot more emphasis on intelligence than physical work. Mm -hmm. And as you can see in the human evolution, the more evolved we get, the more technology we use, the less physical we have to be. Mm Mm-hmm. So if we integrate all this technology, we don't even have to flip on a light switch. You know, we can go, hey, Google, turn on the light, and it'll flip on the light, right? Right. So if they are advanced in that way, then, yeah, they wouldn't have the muscular structure that humans would because they're not using their muscles that much. If they live in a lower gravity environment a non-Earth-based environment that doesn't have as much gravity. They're not going to be as bulky because they're not fighting against gravity like we are. Yeah. And, and of course, we're we're putting human characteristics, you know, on these creatures. Sure. Um, but, like, you know, bone growth is something that requires you to weight bear. Sure. You know, you, you know if, if, you know, for example, if if you have a child that's born and they're paralyzed from, you know, say the waist down, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're, you know, their bones in their legs, they're, they're not going to develop the same way because they lack that weight bearing that the cells that promote bone growth require yep. to do that. Bones grow due to stress. And when I mean stress, I mean, you know, the, the physical pressure that you put, you know, on the bone, right. facilitates it to grow. So, you know, and that's a, that's a, um, a problem with folks that are on the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you spend six months in a zero to very low gravity environment, you know, it's going to take a toll on your body, even in that amount of time. Yeah, so even if you do the workout regimens that they have designed. Right. Yeah. It, it's still going to be physically taxing, um, you know, physiologically, you know, to your body. Mm-hmm. But again, like I said, we're, you know, we're, we're putting human attributes on these creatures that, you know, obviously are not human, at least from Travis's vantage point. And and so we can't really know, but Adam makes a good point in that if, if they were evolved to the point where physical activity was, you know, really much less important than how intelligent you are, then that's why maybe he was, you know, he was feeling that he could physically overpower these things if he had to. But again, remember, he's he's been unconscious mm-hmm. and he's still not 100 percent back. Right. You know, his body's been weakened from this experience. So you, you got to question yourself, you know, because he doesn't know. Do they have a weapon? You know, they were obviously able to hit him with what he called a, a beam of energy, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, knocked him out. Right. So. You still got to, you know, be afraid, even if you thought, you know, if if I had to go hand to hand with one or two of these things, I could I could overpower them. But, you know, who knows what yeah. they've got, you know, available to them to attack me. Right. So he's obviously, you know, the, the weapon he found wasn't going to work the way he expected it to work. So no thin tube of glass. Well, yeah, stuff. what he thinks is glass and he can't break it, you know, that. You know, even if you're excited and panicked, you know, you got to think, what the hell is this thing? It's right. in my hand. You know, what do they have? Yeah. You know, exactly. So, but his his he goes on to explain that his threatening movements kept them at bay and they eventually left the room. So he says that these creatures went to the right. So Travis decided to go to the left. So he reports running down a hallway, passing several doors. But finally, coming to himself enough to go, I may be passing exits. Yeah. You know, so I need I need to check these doors out. So he says he slows himself down to about a walk and he goes into one of the doors. Now, in this room, uh, which was empty, Travis says there was a single chair in the middle of the room and it had controls on it. It was turned away from him, so he he went to the chair, hoping that maybe he could find some control that would access a door that he could get out. And I like the way he described walking up to it, where he was like, he'd take a few steps and look, see if there was something sitting in (laughs) it. Sitting in it, yeah, Yeah. because it was facing away from him. So it it was just the way he described it was funny. It was like you would see in a movie, sneaking up, kind of looking, sneaking up a little more looking, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Which, we would do this. Thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, oh, crap. You know, what's going to be sitting over there? Now, these are little guys. I might not see them. Now, the room itself, the Travis explains that as he approached the chair, the room would darken. And not only would the room darken, the closer that he got to the chair, he started to see little points of light all around him. And as he got closer, he realized that he's looking at stars. And then once he actually got to the chair and sat down, it was like he was looking out of the stars, not just around the walls, but the ceiling and the floor as well. 
That's got to be trippy. Yeah. So he either thought I'm I'm looking through like a window or a video screen of mm-hmm. some type um, where I can I can see what's outside. Now he he didn't know if that's you know that's just what he thought. Right. You know, he he wasn't aware. But if he backed away from the chair, the room would light up and the, and the the uh, the image of the stars would would begin to go away. It's like the sunset in a movie where yeah. you walk toward it and it starts setting, and you walk back and it comes back up. You know? <laughs> yeah, something something like that. So he uh, he he approaches the chair and finally sits down, and he says that there was a T grip style handle on the chair. Now, as he moved the handle, he reports that the stars seemed to begin to move around him. And that that was very disorienting, you know, so he stopped and then he said he recalls thinking, what if I'm what if I'm actually controlling this thing? What if I'm flying it mm-hmm. and, and and I could crash it or I could throw it off course and then maybe that would be a thousand times worse. I'm going to make sure. a bad situation worse by, you know, causing myself to be lost forever. Right. So at that point, he let go of the handle. And said, think, I don't need to do this. Think about the movie Spaceballs, where they're speeding up and the stars are flying <laughs> past. You know, Travis stopped right before he went to plaid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Ludicrous speed. <laughs> oh, no, we've gone to plaid. <laughs> yeah, so something like that, you know. And he's like, okay, I, I'm not going to do this. So he lets go, and uh, and he gets up from the chair. Now, at that point, Travis says another being came into the room, and to his surprise, this one looked human. Now, now this is from the book. This is Travis's description of the, the being that came into this, I guess we're going to call it a control room. He was a man about six feet, two inches tall. His helmeted head barely cleared the doorway. He was extremely muscular and, and evenly proportioned. He appeared to weigh about 200 pounds. He wore a tight-fitting, bright blue suit of soft material like velour. His feet were covered with black boots, a black band or belt wrapped around his middle. He carried no tools or weapons on his belt or in his hands. There was no insignia marked on his clothing. Okay, so that's this is now a different, different being that he's seeing. Mm-hmm. So Travis says he ran up to this being and excitedly began to ask him questions because, you know, you know, he's, he's still kind of out of it. And he's, he's like, there's a, there's a person on here. There's yeah. another human, you know, maybe they know what's going on. So he runs up to him and he says, you know, he's almost babbling, you know, trying to get these questions out. Like, well, you know, where am I? What's going on? You know what? But the being never spoke. Instead, it took him by the arm and motioned for Travis to come with him. Now, again, you got to think, <laughs> do I really want to go with this thing? Right, right. You know, he's not talking to me. Maybe he he's he's with these other guys. Yep, something's weird. What am I going to do? But, you know, this comes up several times where he's just kind of like, what choice do I have at this point? That's a good point. You know, that this 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 being is is not threatening me, you know, he he doesn't look like he's got a weapon. And he wants me to come with him, and he's not forcibly making me come. Mm-hmm. So maybe I better do this, you know, if I'm ever going to get out of here. Right. 
you know, because most people are like, why well, kick his, you know, kick his butt, you know, well, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. You got to think you don't know where you are. Yeah. And and if in your head you're in outer space, you're like, OK, I, I've got to at least, you know, have have somebody that can get me home. Yeah, I don't know how to get home. Why would I kick somebody's butt and then be lost? That's right. And, and you know, you still want answers as to what you are, where you are and what's going on. Yep. So the being led Travis down a hall to another door, which he says slid open. They went into a small room and the door closed behind them. Now, Travis says they spent about two minutes in this small room where he again tried to converse with this being. But again, he didn't get a reply. Now, a different door opened and the being led Travis down a a steep ramp into a large room, which Travis describes like uh, like an airplane hangar. He says it's it's a, a very large room. He says it's almost like a cylinder cut in half and then laid on its side. So th- that that's what like a, a, an airplane hangar looks like—a big rounded, mm-hmm. you know, structure flat on the bottom. Yep. And he recalls the air being cool and fresh. He says like a spring day. He says at that point the remaining aches and pains he had been experienced experiencing seemed to dissipate you know that that fresh air that cool air um made him feel a lot better so at this point he's beginning to feel more like himself right now he describes the craft he had just exited as being similar to the one the men saw in the woods but much larger approximately 60 feet in diameter and about 16 feet high with a shiny metallic luster now in this large room, Travis said he could see three smaller crafts, each about 40 to 45 feet in diameter, oval in shape, like uh, what he describes as a flattened sphere. Mm-hmm. So like if you took a ball and you just smushed it, that's what these things look like. They were also a shiny metallic color, but they were highly polished, and he said they, they were reflecting the light from the room, which he says was very, very bright, almost like daylight. Hmm. So. The being led him across the room to another door and down a long hallway with double doors at the end. Now, when the double doors opened, they entered another room with three more human-like beings standing around a table. Travis says there were were two male and one female. And he said the the reason he he could tell is because of their, their, their body structure. Right. He said, you know, they, they were you know, their bodies were indicative of being male or female. Mm-hmm. The epitome of each gender. You got it. So Travis immediately tried to speak to them, but just like the first one, they didn't answer. They only looked at him. Now, he says that the look they gave him was not ominous. You know, it wasn't threatening, but it also wasn't like happy or excited. It was just gentle. Yeah. You know, it's just like, hey, you know, what welcome welcome to our humble abode. Yep. Here you are. <laughs> yeah. So he describes them as being attractive and having a family like resemblance, but not identical. And uh he said the beings began to lead Travis towards the table where they indicated for him to lie down. Now again, feeling as if he had no choice, he he did it. He went along with it. But he recalls beginning to resist as they were helping him get onto the table, but said they firmly but gently 
pushed him back down. Now, as he was lying there, said the female approached him with what Travis described as a clear plastic oxygen mask, but without any tubes. It had a small black golf ball sized sphere in the center of it, and she began to bring it down to his face. Now, he says it covered his nose and mouth, and at that point, Travis began to feel himself losing consciousness again until he finally went out. Okay, so we have a new sponsor this week, and it's AMC Shutter, and they are a premium streaming video service, and they love interacting with their giant fan base who loves the horror and thrillers, and they love getting on social media and bantering back and forth with Shudder because they're very active on their social media and they give these fantastic irreverent reviews and they just have a great social media presence and all of their fans come together and they just love each other and if you're ready to get in on this you should and you should not be left in the dark alone now with Shudder you can stream great thrillers horror and suspense for only $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year. Now, Shudder has the largest, fastest growing human curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. It is the Netflix for horror. It really is. Now, you can stream all of these shows on a lot of different platforms. iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, where Matt and I stream ours. Google Chromecast, Roku, and all Android devices. Now, I love this, and it's it's fantastic because you can, if you're fans of these cheesy B-horror movies like Matt and I are, you can stream those and find those wherever you want. They've got a great selection of a ton, a ton of different styles and genres and everything. And just the other night, I pulled up an oldie but goodie to me, The Burbs with tom hanks and i just i i just love that movie and it's right there you can go on click on it and watch it and like matt said it really is the netflix of horror yeah and not only can you go find previous titles old titles movies that you remember from growing up shutter has exclusive titles available Mm -hmm. content made specifically for shutter and amanda and i read the books a discovery of witches. Right. And they have on Shudder a series based on these books, A Discovery of Witches. We loved it. We loved it. But again, it was only exclusive for Shudder subscribers. Right. Can't get it anywhere else. And they have other exclusive titles like Stan Lee's Lucky Man and Horror Noir. So go check them out if you like it. And if you really want to check them out, you can try Shutter free for 30 days. All you got to do is go to Shutter.com and use the promo code GRAVE. So that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and put in the code G-R-A-V-E. Yeah, to try Shutter free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com and use the promo code GRAVE. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com using the promo code GRAVE. So, you know, here he is. He's on what 
what he thinks is the flying saucer or a flying saucer. And then he comes off of this and, and confirms it in his mind because he has the feeling that I've just, I'm leaving one ship. I'm going into what looks like a hangar and I can see other ships in here. Right. You know, and now, you know, he's interacting or trying to interact with these human looking beings, but he's not getting any answers. So, you know, now he's just at a point where, you know, no matter what he does to fight it, you know, he still manages to lose consciousness again. Yep. So at, at that point, the uh, Travis's experience on on board the craft or with these creatures is is over. Yep. Because the next time he regains consciousness, he's lying face down in the street. So we've all been there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you ever drink so much that you black out or yep. time travel is <laughs> but again, he wasn't drinking. Right. You know, but they they obviously, you know, did something that caused him to lose consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so now he's out in the middle of the road. So he says, as he turned his head, he saw what appeared to be a silvery saucer shaped object about 40 feet in diameter hovering just above the ground. And he says it's it's about, you know, 12 yards away or so. And uh, he then realized that he was outside because he could see the trees against the night sky. So it was then that the object shot vertically into the air and disappeared. So, you know, so long and thanks for all the fish. Yep. You know, it's out. Bye. You know. Have a nice life. We sent, we brought you back. No, we're done yeah. with you now. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. you're. Uh, you just got kicked out on the side of the road. Out, your outer space Uber ride is over. Yep. You know, please tip and leave a review in the app without even a thank you. <laughs> now you know he's still panicked. You sure. Know? So you know he's laying out in the middle of the road. It's dark, and you know he just sees a flat saucer take off. So. Travis said that he got up and he ran down the highway, eventually coming to a row of phone booths at an Exxon station in the town of, of, is it Heber or is it Herber? I saw Heber, H-E-B-E-R, and that's the way I pronounced it, but I'm probably totally wrong. Well, I don't, and I've, I've, I've seen it both ways. Because for some well, reason I, I can pronounce I, I Gaelic have, I better than... I Googled it and actually seen what the town was no, i can pronounce gaelic better than ways. arizona towns for some um, reason so anyway what i had was was herber h-e-r-b-e-r either way this is where he was this was the town so he's at this uh, exxon station and he goes to a row of phone booths now for all of you graveyard listeners that are <laughs> under the age of 20 maybe um there was a time where you could you even could maybe twenty five. Yeah, eat maybe. You know, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen one of these in a long time. I know, but um, there used to be a thing that you could go that looked like a big glass box, and you could pay to use the telephone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like my oldest when we didn't have a home phone. I mean, we still don't, but we didn't. But when she got old enough to get off the bus. And, and stay at home by ourselves until one of us got home from work. Mm-hmm. We installed a home phone for her to be able to call if she had any problem. Right. And it was it was a cordless phone. You know, just that was pretty much what everybody had at that point. And 
we showed it to her and she's probably 10, 11. And she goes, how many minutes are on this phone? I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, so, here we are. Okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, you could go and, and you could pay and use a phone. So that's what he did. 25, he 35 cents, something yeah, like that. He went to the phone booth. But um, of course, you know, he didn't have any change, but it, he says, you know, where they lived, you could pick up the phone and actually speak to the operator. And so he manages, you know, still all hyped up. He manages to get out his sister's phone number, which he thought would, would be, you know, the closest member of his family that he could get in touch with. So it was just after midnight and his brother-in-law Grant answered the phone. Now, Travis was able to tell him where he was, but fearing it to be some kind of sick joke, too scared that it was really Travis, Grant drove to find Dwayne, who was one of the guys that was with Travis in the truck the night that all this started. So the two drove to Herber and found Travis slumped down in the phone booth. Now, Travis, believing he had only been unconscious for a few hours, was shocked when Dwayne and Grant told him he had been gone for five days. So for five days, they had been searching for Travis with no no evidence, nothing. Which is just crazy. Right. That you disappeared literally off the face of the earth for five days. Yeah, and Travis says he didn't believe them at first, so they told him, hey, touch your face. And Travis says he touched his face and he felt his beard, and he knew he had shaved that morning before he went to work. So, I mean, you know, he's like, what are you talking about? I've only been, I've only been out for a, a few hours. And then he feels his face and realizes that he's got five days worth of facial hair. Yeah. Growing which on is his just face. crazy. Yeah. So what happened next is, is where things really begin to kind of go haywire for this story. Now, instead of immediately going to the police or even notifying them, Dwayne and Grant took Travis to Phoenix the next morning to meet with Lester Stewart, who was a doctor from Ground Saucer Watch. Okay. So Adam's just showing me the Google map that says it's it, it's Heber. Yeah. It, however you pronounce it, H-E-B-E-R. Okay. okay. So it's Heber. Now, Google Maps could be wrong, and y'all will probably yell that's at right. us for that's that. That's right. But- Somebody's wrong. Don't yep. don't blame us. Yell in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, no daylight savings time. Mm-hmm. All that. <laughs> anyway, so so yeah, so so they don't take him to the police. You know, they they take him home. Of course, at this point, it's like they said it was about an hour before anybody was able to get to him. So it was you know just after midnight. So about one in the morning, they get to him and then drive him back. And then the next morning, they, they drive him to Phoenix. And the reason why is because a lot of these guys had been talking to UFO investigators during this five-day period. Right. So enough people had gotten in touch with him. When we find him, we, we, need, to, we need to examine him. We need to find out what, what happened. What, did they do anything to him? So this is what they do. Now, Dwayne and Grant thought they were taking him to a medical doctor. But turns out that Stewart was actually a hypnotherapist. Okay. So 
you know, again, they, they wanted to, to do something to try to get as much of the story of what happened while he was gone. So, so they go and, and, and they're there. And uh, they, like I said, they were kind of annoyed because they thought they were going to a medical doctor and he wasn't. Um, but, but there they were. Now, the police were pretty annoyed at this, too. I can imagine. Yeah, because they learned of Travis's return over the news media <laughs> two days later, two yep. days after he got back. Now, here they are. They've been searching for this guy, and he returns, and nobody says anything to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the cops were pretty hacked off. But peeved. they still suspected that there was some foul play or a criminal hoax. So when they found out, they went and checked out the phone booth story. Now, they found that the phone company did indeed confirm that Grant Neff's home had received a phone call from that phone booth around midnight. But oddly enough, none of the fingerprints on the phone booth matched Travis Walt. Now, that that that's where this thing really begins to sound, you know, super suspicious and everything. But. I mean, you think about how many people would have possibly used that phone booth. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, th- there's a Hard chance to, that they just did. They didn't find his print. Right. Hard you to know? pick out one set of prints when the millions. I know. I mean, you you know, and there was no uh, there was no computerized network. Of, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they they couldn't just punch it in. I mean, they had what they had. Yep. Had to do it with you a know. magnifying glass and a pointer. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking there's a really good chance that, you know, if if Travis's story is true, um, you know, and 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 it's obvious that somebody did call mm-hmm. Grant Neff from that phone, that you know there's, you know, there were so many prints that they they just couldn't they just didn't get the one that was Travis to sure. confirm it. You know, I mean, it's not like you know, oh, we found a a gun or a knife and we're gonna you know, it's it's a phone booth for yeah, crying right. out loud. You right. know, it's probably got thousands of fingerprints on it. But either way. Um, like I said, they were able to confirm that the phone call was made, but they, they found some other problems too. Um, so while, like, as I mentioned earlier, that while other people were out searching for Travis, Dwayne and Mike spent most of their time giving interviews to UFO investigators. Now, among the taped interviews that the investigators shared with police were two interesting stories. Now, Mike, who was the, the boss said that he was delinquent on his forest service contract and that said he had hoped Travis's disappearance would alleviate that situation. You know, they would, you know, now he's been five days and they hadn't been working. So, right. so you know, he's under contract to get this job done and he hadn't been able to do it. So he was kind of hoping that, well, listen, one of our workers vanished in this crazy situation. Mm-hmm. So cut me some slack, will you? Now, Dwayne said that he and Travis were lifelong UFO buffs and that they frequently saw them and they had recently discussed what to do if one of them were ever abducted. So that kind of plants a seed there that if, if Travis and Dwayne, you know, like to read and look into or believe that they had seen a UFO before, it kind of gives a little bit more credence as to why Travis jumped out of that truck. Yep, exactly. You know, if he's kind of a UFO buff and he thinks he's found one, he's going to want to get up there. Mm-hmm. He's going to want to get as close as he can to it and see what it is. So at this point, people began to come out of the woodwork to either prove that Travis's story was definitive proof that aliens had visited our planet and abducted a human, or 
to prove that Travis and his friends had executed an elaborate hoax. Now, due to the fact that there were six eyewitnesses to this event, it seemed that a third possibility that Travis was a complete whack job or had suffered some sort of mental breakdown wasn't really plausible. I mean, you know, you, you hear a lot of folks that will have some kind of story of being abducted. I mean, there's been plenty of books written about folks saying, hey, I was abducted by aliens and this is exactly what happened to me. And they have no eyewitnesses. It was just them. Mm-hmm. But this story, and I think this is part of what makes this one of the the definitive cases of alien abduction is the fact that there were not just one or two, but six eyewitnesses to this event. Yep, exactly. You know? And and that is really where it makes completely disproving this extraordinarily difficult. Yep. I mean, you just can't dismiss this, okay? And, you know, it, it is, there, there, there are a few cases throughout history of these things that just, they are the ones that ufologists just grab and hold on to and research and interview. And, but they're, they're the ones that the, uh, the debunkers out there just, it just makes them grind their teeth because they just can't get in there and say, this guy's nuts. Right. This was a complete hoax. And this right. is why we figured it out. You know, he, this is what happened. And this is, you know, their stories weren't consistent. Their stories have always been consistent. Mm-hmm. Okay. But plenty of people tried. They tried sure. now, and and in all fairness, a lot of the folks that were involved in, you know, with, with lack of a better word, harassing Travis and the guys to get them there, they they wanted they didn't necessarily want to prove or disprove. They wanted answers because they were either going to be the ones to say it's a hoax and this is why we figured it out, or they were going to be the ones that broke the story and said, this is legit. Yep. This is the case that makes it makes it absolute 100%. There's life you know, out there that we haven't met yet and yep. has come to this planet. So either way, either way, you get that answer, you know, you're going to you're going to get some notoriety. Absolutely. Big time. Absolutely. And so th- that is what began and and has shaped what you know the lives of Travis and Dwayne and Mike and Steve and the other guys you know for the last you know 30 years mm-hmm. you know it, it it's it, it altered their life forever and this is where we're going to pick up you know in a couple weeks yep exactly so, so that that's just again this is one of those cases that has always stuck with me and I love it. And it's the one that when we'd started, you know, we were like, okay, early on in yeah. in this show, we were like, we're going to, you know, cover some alien stuff too. This was one of the first ones we put on there mm-hmm. on the list mm-hmm. because it's, it's just so fascinating and there's just so much to it. And that's why we are breaking it into two pieces. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we knew that we had a lot more to cover. And um, we we want to do it well, and so we're we're going to cover all of that stuff in uh, in part two. Right. So on part one, let us know what you think about the story. Let us know if you've heard it, and 
you know, do like you always do. Let's get in the group and discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as Adam mentioned, get in that, get in our Facebook group, uh, go to Facebook, you know, search Graveyard Tales. You'll find the group. Um, it's a great place to share stories, discuss, uh, you know, past episodes. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I get on there and, you know, poke around, make comments and, you know, uh, you know, Adam, Adam is pretty regular, uh, commenter and contributor to her, but, uh, to it, but really what drives that group are all the members. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't really do anything but sit back and look and see, what all of our fantastic members, you know, contribute to this group. Yeah, the Graveyard you know? family is awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, but you can find us on other social media, Instagram and Twitter. Um, Adam is the tweeter. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> but go check out our webpage, too. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on there, you can listen to the show. Uh, you can find links to to buy our merchandise. And like we mentioned at the top, look, we got some new merch that mm-hmm. should be coming out, you know, pretty soon. Um, but you can uh, you can also become a patron. And thank you so much. You know, we've we've dropped several uh, uh, Patreon only episodes that are a, a lot of fun. Uh, they're usually not uh typical show topics you know not they're censored they're much, as much yeah they're not censored as much they're they're a lot more casual but um but for those folks that have donated to the show thank you so much so and we got uh, another one coming out soon we do we do have another one coming out pretty soon uh and it's it's we had a lot of fun recording that one so um you know check us out in uh in two weeks to catch part two of the travis walton story so until then we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.